the instruments, I guess. <laughs> you guys done? <laughs> well, bless your hearts. Good to be back. I want to thank the whatever Sunday school class it was, Jeff and Sheila's home. We had a tremendous meal. I wish everybody could have been there. I guarantee you would have enjoyed it. It was just a good time together. And uh, appreciate you, you guys singing for us. Really do. Appreciate the bunch. Let's pray before we read the Word of God. Lord, sometimes I've been in your house and I missed the blessing because I was not really paying attention to your presence. And I pray tonight that even now the Spirit of God would help each of us to listen, to listen to you. I know if these people go home and they just hear my voice, nothing's going to change. But I pray they'll hear that other voice and that you might be honored. Thank you for this church, these people, and what they mean to me. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to turn with me tonight to one of the most familiar chapters in God's Word, probably, Luke 15. There's a word I want us to kind of zero in on. It's used, I want to point out three places it's used in this chapter. And I pray that God will use this to speak to our heart. Luke 15, I want you to notice the first two verses to kind of give the setting of this chapter. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And notice the congregation, the publicans and the sinners. I was reading that today and, and I thought about over the years the many opportunities that God has provided for me to preach in different churches and different places. Some of them in large, some small. One of the most unique opportunities I ever had to preach in 48 years of preaching was in 10 miles of this church. It was in a house. Aubrey Clayton. You've heard me mention him many times. Any of his family here tonight? Most Aubrey. Most Aubrey Clayton was a dear friend. Um, I saw the Spirit of God get a hold of him, and he fought it and fought it, and yet one night at Montwood Baptist, I was preaching a revival meeting, and Mr. Aubrey got saved after the service ended. And we called people back together so we could make it public. They were getting in the car going home. And he just fell in love with Jesus. He would come to my home just about every Monday morning before I'd go back to the mountains to school. And um, he called me one day when I was at home. And uh, Mr. Aubrey had a burden for his family and his friends. And he told me, he said, I want you to preach. This is during the week now. He said, I want you to preach. And he told me where he was, where were to come. And he said, no, they ain't going to bother you. You know how you talk. And uh, he said, I'm going to stand at the door and nobody's going to leave either. <laughs> When I walked in that house that day, it looked like John Dillinger's gang had sitting around the wall there. 
And I decided, well, I might not have this chance anymore, so I'm going to let them go. And don't you know, the Spirit of God moved on that crowd. And some of those fellows became dear friends over the years. But one of them got saved that day. And that's always been a very unique ministry. And then when I read in the Word of God, then drew near to him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. There's a hunger in the human heart to know the one who made us. Listen to what it says. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured. You see that word? Murmured. Saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Isn't that something? Thank God he loves sinners because if he didn't, we'd all be in hell. He loves sinners. I want you to notice Jesus told three parables, four stories with three parables in this passage. Notice in verse 6, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. Look at the word lost. Then verse 9, about the coin that was lost, a silver coin that was lost. And when she had found it, she called her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. And then look at verse 24, the prodigal son, as we know the story. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now notice where the story changes here. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And usually a bunch of Baptists dancing, and they were dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Your brother is come. And they've killed for him the fatted calf. Isn't that something? Because he hath received him safe and sound. He was very angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and I want you to notice this word, and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve you, and neither transgressed I at any time your commandment. And yet you have never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this your son was come, which had devoured your living, his living with harlots, you may kill for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, you are ever with me, and all that I have is yours. It was me that we should make merry and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive again, look at this, and was lost and is found. Folks, whether we are lost and need Christ, or whether we are saved and need to get right with God, there comes a place in our life we've got to be honest. We've got to see ourselves like we really are. I heard one guy say that he was so ugly as a kid growing up, his imaginary friend wouldn't even hang around with him. <laughs> and uh, we need to see the ugliness in our spirit because of sin. And the only way we're going to experience the presence of the Lord is come to a place where we admit that. We see it. We confess it. We ask God to have mercy on us. Uh, I pray that 
Tonight we'll let God use this passage that's so familiar to speak to our heart. One of the greatest evangelistic outlines anywhere you'll ever find is in Luke 15. Um, when the Word of God talks about the sheep that was lost. How did that sheep get lost? He didn't take off running. He didn't just say, well, I want to get away from the shepherd. No, he nibbled himself. He was careless. He became careless in his life. And he nibbled himself to a place of great danger. To be out in the wilderness as a sheep and no shepherd, his life was nothing but a, a meal for a hungry animal. But he nibbled himself in that place. And there are many people tonight, I'm convinced of this, in seeking to witness for Christ. They don't mean to be in the condition they're in. They just nibbled themselves there. Little by little, they got to that place. And tonight, they're lost in a wilderness of sin, and they need to get back. The lost coin. Where the God says in verse 8, it was a silver coin. Uh, when the coin was lost... It didn't turn to copper. It didn't lose its value. But it was out of circulation. And a Christian out of circulation is not much good. How many of God's people died? How many members of the Risa Baptist Church are no longer in circulation for God? That's a tragic thing, isn't it? And, and you know something that I want all of us to think about? I want you to really dwell on this for tonight in your life. That coin didn't lose itself. It didn't jump off the table and say, I think I'll go hide. No, somebody lost it. Somebody caused that coin to be lost. Whether it was this lady or whoever it was, somebody caused the coin to be lost. And how we need to understand in our life the tremendous responsibility we have in being a witness for Christ. In our lifestyle, in our lips, in the way we conduct ourselves, our attitude, that we might try to exalt the Christ. And all of us fail, don't we? We make mistakes, but if we are Christians and growing, we learn from our falls. And God can use it. Um, the lost boy, the young boy. Uh, he came to a place in his life, now listen to me carefully. He came to a place in his life he was not concerned about doing what he ought to do. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. Is that true of you and I? Often it is, isn't it? We kind of forget about what God is saying. We want to do our thing. And yet when we get away from the Lord, we get away from the only one that's capable of making us what we call happy, to enjoy life. Only the presence of the Lord in our life. I want to ask you something. Just like a, a Muslim goes to Mecca and a Jew goes to Jerusalem, the Sut family goes to Myrtle Beach every year. Brother, we go to Myrtle Beach. Um, I don't know where the most beautiful beach is in the world, but let's pretend it's Myrtle. I love to go to Myrtle Beach. I mean, just got almost like another world, you know. And uh, throw your phone in the water and where they, nobody can't call you and just enjoy it. And... Um, but let's suppose that Myrtle Beach is the most beautiful beach in all the world. Now let's suppose there's a fish on Myrtle Beach. Let's call him Nemo. Everybody knows Nemo. 
Old Nemo is on Myrtle Beach. He's on the most beautiful beach in the world. Is he happy? He's laying there in his gills. <laughs> They're slapping. It's like two hands clapping together. Hey, Nemo, are you happy? <laughs> what if I say, well, I'll tell you what, Nemo. I'm going to give you $100,000 to enjoy at the beach. Now, put $100,000 beside Nemo. Is he happy? <laughs> Tell you what, Nemo, I'm going to add to it. I'll give you a year subscription to Playfish magazine. Is he happy? Is Nemo happy? Oof. No. Why? He's made for another world. And until he gets in his world, he's not going to be happy. And the same is true of us. Word of God says we are made in the image of God. And it's amazing how Satan is the master of deception, and he can get all of us, if we're not very careful, to think that this world can satisfy us and all the things that are therein. And it's amazing how we are so quick to turn away from the one and the only one who is capable of making us happy and enjoying life, and we turn to these other things that lets us down. I know of a preacher who, in his, the church he pastors, he has a, a real large church, and uh, one of his members threw a party just simply to get all together, people together to want to come and have fellowship together. And uh, he has this huge place. And uh, they went there to that place to have uh, this time of fellowship. And I don't know who come up with this idea, but he had put up a zip line. I'm talking about a zip line on steroids. That thing was steep and fast. And uh, when he got, the preacher got there and saw it, he thought, wow, man, somebody's going to kill this thing. And so he talked to the guy and he said, look, we need to make a rule here that nobody under 14 can get on this zip line. So they did that. And for the first, first part of the party, everybody was watching real close, make sure the kids didn't get on it. And after everybody kind of got settled down, won't be nobody paying much attention. The pastor's little girl, five years old, and her partner in crime, which was 12 years old, that little 12-year-old hoisted her up where she grabbed the handle and away she went. And here she comes over the party and the preacher and her mom and dad and all the other people. And she said, "Wee!" She was grinning from ear to ear. And all of a sudden, she went over the crowd and she went into a tree face first. Pow! She fell on the, on the ground. Her body was as lifeless. And everybody thought she was dead. They went running over there. Everybody was scared to death. Her whole face was covered in blood. She woke up. It took two rows of stitches on her chin, but she made a full recovery. But now watch this. There might be someone here tonight. You're on the zip line. And you've heard the sermons from the pastor. You know what the word of God says, but right now sin is dealing you a good hand and you think you're happy. You know what you're doing? Wee! You're in the wee stage of sin. But what we tend to forget, there's a tree up ahead because the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. And when we ignore what God teaches, we are setting ourselves up for a terrible fall where we will experience pain like we've never known. Because we were disobedient to the one who loves us more than anyone else. 
Well, I want you to notice just a few thoughts from this that I pray God will use tonight in this passage that I'm going to, they used to have a professor, he said the way you preach is stand up, speak up, and shut up. And that's what I'm going to try to do. Uh, But I want you to listen with your heart. Uh, What does it mean to be lost? We read that word, we hear preachers talk about being lost. What does it mean to be lost? Uh, Most of you here, I feel like, uh, most Baptist congregations anyway, anybody who's been in church for any time at all, I feel like everybody here could probably quote John 3.16. It is the gospel in a nutshell. It's It's the whole Bible in just one verse, basically. But I want you to listen to something. If I never get to the page, here it is. Listen to this. Now, we know the scripture, for God so loved the world. Thank God for that, that he gave his only begotten son. That's the key right there. He gave his son, that whoever believes in him, look what it says, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But so often we stop there. But listen to 17 and 18. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes on him, listen, is not condemned. Now watch this next statement. But he that believes not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Condemnation is what the word lost means. Uh, I think the greatest illustration of this that I ever personally heard or uh, was aware of was Dr. Joe Henry Hankins. And this is years ago. Uh, He's been in heaven for years, but Dr. Hankins grew up in the deep south, and he said when he was about 15 years old, there was a young man in the community that uh, had been arrested and charged with murder. That was a murder that had occurred. Uh, The cops had done their searching, and they put this this young man in jail. Now, this is in the days before ACLU existed, and this is when justice was carried out in in the system in, uh, in most cases, and yet... Uh, This young man was well-known by the whole community. His family was well-known. They liked him. But here this kid is, this young man, he's on trial for murder. The day of the trial came. The courtroom was packed. Joe Hankins, he said he was in there that day as a young teenager. He, too, was like everybody else, wanted to know how this thing is going to turn out. The, The lawyers argued the case. The jury went out, and the judge had already made the statement. He said, if there is a guilty verdict, he will hang until death. And when they came out, Joe said you could tell by the expression on the jury's face, something terrible is about to happen. And he said that when the chairman of the jury stood up and said, we find, called his young young man's name, we find him guilty as charged. And Joe said when the judge took the verdict, the mama, an old gray-haired lady, she stood up and screamed, a blood-curdling scream, and fainted in in the courtroom. And Joe said at that point, the sister of this young man, she jumped up, tears literally flowing off her face, and ran out of the courtroom saying, my God, condemned, condemned. As Joe told that, I thought if the condemnation of the physical body is that bad, can you imagine what it would be like 
to go through this life and trust more in religion than in redemption and face a holy God without Jesus. That's condemnation. That's what it means to be lost. God changed my mind this morning about what to share on tonight. I just want to share a few thoughts with you. The Word of God says that we are lost basically for three reasons. One is our nature. We are sinners by nature. The Bible says we were born in sin. When David makes that statement in Psalm 51, he's not saying that he was an illegitimate child, that his mom had committed sin. He's talking about his nature. You don't have to teach a kid how to be a sinner, do you? They come in the world well-trained. Why? Because of their nature. They are sinners by nature. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But also the Word of God teaches that we are sinners by choice. Uh, I'm amazed as we as believers gather together in different churches and worship the Lord. And I appreciate what Herb was talking about, the different type of music you've had this week. I really believe that. Uh, there are churches of all different types. I've been in so many that they, they're as different as black and white. And just like we all at different ages in our life, we have different needs, don't we? Well, I have needs tonight I didn't have as a kid. And uh, I heard about a guy one day who was walking through the field, and it was kind of, uh, kind of a chilly day, and he had on a coat, and he was just walking along enjoying the time. And he's an older fellow just enjoying the day out. And, and while he was just standing there in the field looking around, he heard a voice, Help me! Help me! At first he didn't know where it was, and he stood there, and he... He was looking around, and he looked down, and there was a frog talking. The frog said, help me, help me. He reached down and picked the frog up. And that frog said, if you'll kiss me, I'll turn into a beautiful princess, and I'll love you the rest of your life. He took that frog and put it in his pocket. <laughs> and that frog said, didn't you hear me? If you'll kiss me, I'll turn into a beautiful princess and love you the rest of your life. He said, at my age, I'd rather have a talking frog. <laughs> Can you identify with that? We have different needs, don't we? No matter whatever our ages might be, we, we do have those different needs in our life. But whatever age we are, whatever circumstance we are in, I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that everybody needs Jesus. I don't have to hesitate in being a witness. Well, I don't know if this person needs to be saved or not. Brother, everybody needs to get saved. Amen. And the fact is, the devil has used religion to try to be a substitute, and it doesn't work. You can be religious. You can be a good person. You can be a talented person. You can be an intelligent person. You can be all kinds of things. But without Jesus, you're lost. We need to know what it means to be born again, to trust Christ as our Lord and allow him to be our Lord and Savior. I'll never forget uh, years ago when I was in school during the, the wintertime and in the summer I was working out at Lock Screen. Any of you remember that? I don't know if it still exists or not. Uh, there was a, a hot meal out there, Joe Ballack. Any of you remember Joe? Uh, he told me, he said, I'm going to give you a job for the summer. And I said, well, he said, uh, he said where do you want to work? I said, I want to work in a hot meal. He said, no, you don't. I said, yeah, I do. He said, no, you don't want to work in a hot meal. I said, I want to work in a hot meal. 
I wouldn't tell Joe why because I was afraid he wouldn't let me do it. And uh, so he put me at the hot meal, and and uh, one day I was, uh, and, I, and I, I don't know if I ought to call his name or not, but anyway, it was a boy that I wanted to witness to, and I had the whole summer to do that. Talked to him about Jesus, and uh, just never seemed to register with him. And then one day in the fall when I'd left uh, the job, went back to school, I came home on the weekend, and as I was leaving town to go back to school, he was out on the road out on 501 thumbing. And I picked him up. And I thought honestly, it was no more use to talk to him about Jesus. And he got in the car. He said, ever since you left, he said, I've been thinking about something you said. I said, what is it? He said, you kept telling me that I need to be born again. He said, what do you mean, that I need to die and come back? I said, man, that's what a guy in the Bible asked. A man that was brilliant. We know he was a theologian and possibly was an engineer. In fact, there's good reason to believe that Nicodemus probably designed the waterworks of Jerusalem. I said, you've asked a question that he asked. I said, the word of God teaches that, and I almost called his name. I said, God's word teaches that all of us need to be born again in our spirit by trusting Jesus Christ. And the spirit of God will cause that to happen if you're willing to repent. I believe I'll see him in heaven. He's already dead. But isn't that good? Isn't it good to know that God loves us so much that he'll engineer circumstances and bring us to a place in our life where we can have that chance and choice to ask Jesus Christ to come in? The fact the grave is empty, the tomb is empty, Jesus has risen. That's the foundation of our faith. I've shared this with you before, but when I had a chance to go to Israel a few years ago, there's a guy that I had a chance to lead him to the Lord. He's very wealthy. And he asked me, he said, you ever been to Israel? I said, no, but I've always wanted to go. He said, pack, I'm going to send you. And I thank God for that. We went over there and I saw places that I've read about all these years. And, and the thing that fascinated me the most, though, is when we got a chance to go to the cemetery to where our Lord was buried. And I got to thinking about this thing. I rode an airplane for over 12 hours to get over there. I got on a bus and rode several hours to get to the cemetery. And then I stood in line to get to the tomb for about two to three hours. And after all of that traveling, it amazed me that when I bent over to look in the tomb, the thing that hit me like a bolt of lightning, I went all that way, traveled all that distance, and spent all that money to see nothing. It was nothing in there. And I thought, brother, this is why the faith is real. He has conquered death. We're not here tonight to worship some hero that died a martyr's death, but a resurrected Savior that is coming again. And God help us to have our eyes open to see that me nor anyone else will be able to enter the gates of heaven except through a personal trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that something? I want you to notice something. The sheep was found. The shepherd went out and looked until he could find him. He looked, he searched, he called, he found him. The coin was found. The young boy came home. 
And the Word of God tells the story that when that young boy was coming home, the daddy saw him at a distance, the father. And the Scripture says the father went running toward him. God loves us so much. It's a joyful and happy day when he sees us make that turn to come back. A dear friend of mine that used to live right here in Roxborough, I saw him turn away from God. And I went one night and a guy, a friend of mine, came and told me. He's at a bar. He told me where he was. And I went to the bar. And when he saw me come in, he started toward me. We walked out on the sidewalk. And I talked to him. I said, man, you need to give your life, turn your life back over to God. And here's the statement he made. He said, I'm afraid to come back. I said, you better be afraid to stay away. You know what I wanted him to see? The daddy ran to get him. Isn't that good? He didn't run out there with a stick and hit him over the head. He loved him. And the Bible says he gave call for a feast. Let's have a party. He was lost and is found. He's come back. But then we get to the elder brother. The elder brother. Look at that. He was the elder brother. Birthdays tell how long you've been on the road, but they don't tell how far you've traveled. He was the elder brother. He should have known more about the Lord than anybody else, but he didn't. The scripture says he was the elder brother who had stayed at home and worked hard, and that's commendable. But I want you to know a few things about this boy. Number one, he was very selfish. There is no evidence given in the scriptures that he ever considered praying for or was concerned about his younger brother who was living out in the depths of sin. Now I want to just hit pause right there. I want you to be gut level honest. Is there anybody on your heart tonight, right now, that you're concerned about? Either a Christian that's away from God or a lost person that needs Jesus. If it isn't, I want you to come to this altar tonight and ask God to give you a new burden. When we become so selfish, we're no longer concerned about reaching the lost with the gospel of Christ. We're in trouble. And God help us to see that tonight. This young boy was selfish. I heard about a guy one time prayed a prayer and said, God bless me and my wife, John, his wife, us forward no more. That was all he's concerned about. And when we get to a place where we're in that condition, we are in bad shape. God help us to understand the need that we need to overcome our selfishness and let God use us as a witness for the Christ. He was also satisfied. He didn't see any need for himself to change. You remember when Jesus wrote the letter to the church at Laodicea? You read in the scriptures in Revelation 3 and 4, the Bible says in chapter Three, two and three of those seven churches. And then in Laodicea in chapter three, the Bible says, they said, we are increased with goods and have need of nothing. And yet Jesus said, thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's a pretty tough condition to be in and not know it, isn't it? Have we become so satisfied that we don't even recognize the need to make a change in our own life? Grace, I love you guys. You're such a special church. You're such a special people. 
don't let it happen. And the word of God says that they didn't see their need. We've got to see our need. I heard about a little guy from long ago. He was out walking one day and just walking along the trail. And he saw something shiny on the ground. And he picked it up and he'd never seen a mirror in all of his life. Never knew what a mirror was. And he picked it up and he thought he was looking at a picture of his daddy. And he said, Pa, Pa, he favored his daddy so much. Pa. And he just thought that was the greatest treasure anybody could ever have, a picture of his dad. He took that thing home and he put it up in his attic in a trunk. Every day he would walk up there in the attic and he would take that trunk and open it up and look at that mirror. He thought it was a picture and he said, Pa, Pa. One day, after a long time of doing that, he got in his buggy, got on his buggy, horse and buggy, and went to town. While he was gone, his wife said, I want to find out what he's been looking at. And she went up there and in that attic, and she opened that trunk and took that mirror out, and she didn't know what a mirror was either. And she looked at it, and she said, Mm-hmm, that old hag he's been running around with. <laughs> We need to see what we're really like. You know where the mirror is? Where did God say in the book of James, this is the mirror. This is it. And this is where God shows us our real need. He shows us that we're sinners, that we need forgiveness. We need cleansing. We need a fresh walk with God. And the Bible said this young man was, he was selfish. He was satisfied. But now watch this. The younger son went to the far country, the scripture says. Here was an older brother that lived in the same house with his daddy, but he was far away from fellowship as the young boy was in another country. We can sit on church pews and have positions and titles in the church and lose the joy of what it means to be a Christian. People don't backslide out in the world. They backslid when they get there. We backslide sitting on church pews. And how we need to understand the tremendous need to bring myself before the mirror of God's word on a daily basis. That God might be able to show me in my life what it is I need to work on. That I might be truly right with him. And the word of God says, look what it says here. I want you to notice this statement. The word of God tells us that. When he came home and heard what was going on, he called one of the servants. He told him that the young boy had come home. He was angry and would not go in. Look what it says in verse 28. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. You know what the word entreat means? It means it's an invitation to come in and enjoy the fruits of redemption. He went out. He went out where he was. The Bible says Ezekiel, God told Ezekiel, you go sit where they sit. In other words, we've got to have a love for people where we're willing to go wherever that is. If it's a farmhouse to talk to a bunch of old rotten, uh, wicked, tough-minded guys, go. If it's somebody on an airplane, go. If it's a neighbor, go. Wherever it is, go talk to people and let them know that you care about them. I was in Indiana in a revival some years back, and uh, I was in a restaurant. They had me out on the freeway. I was right in a motel right there on the freeway, and uh, I was in there eating one of my meals. They told me to just go in you know, and eat what I want, sign the bill, and 
they won't like here having a meal at the church or anything like that. It was just a church where you, you stayed at the motel, you get ready, then you come and preach, and that's what I did. And, and I was in there one day uh, having a meal, and while I was sitting there just uh, eating and minding my own business, and in walked the pagan motorcycle gang. It was 12 guys and one girl. And you never heard such a ruckus. I mean, they were pushing tables around and turning chairs over and cursing and raising the devil. And uh, I remember thinking at that point, somebody ought to do something. And God spoke to my mind and said, why don't you do something? Now, I had to remind God, have you looked at that crowd? <laughs> they look like they use motor oil for hair tonic. I, I tell you what. And uh, they had chains on them, bigger chains than I tied my dog with. And, and uh, all of a sudden, for whatever reason, they all left, they raised the devil, and they all just turned and went back out to all the motorcycles that was lined up in the parking lot. And I got so convicted. And I got up and I told the guys, I'm not walking out on the bill. I hope to be back. <laughs> and this is the honest truth. I started walking across that parking lot, and you could tell who the leader was. He was up here on this end, the girl was right beside him, and all the others were lined up. And I was walking right toward it, and every one of those guys was looking at me. I don't know if they thought I was a cop, or if they thought I had a gun. I don't know what they thought. And I was walking right up to this guy. And they were just as quiet as a mouse. I said, God just put it on my heart to come right here and talk to you about Jesus. When I said that, you have never heard such commotion in your life. They started laughing and cussing, and I was standing there thinking, you're the biggest idiot in the world coming out of here doing that. Everybody was laughing but that leader. He must have been the toughest cat in the alley because, brother, this honest truth. All he did was look. He didn't say a word. He looked down that line just like that and it turned off like a faucet and then he looked at me he said say your peace I told him I said my name's Marvin Sue I'm a preacher I'm preaching a meeting here at a church and I just want you guys to know Jesus loves you as much as he does anybody in the world he died for you he wants you to have the gift of eternal life it would be my honor to have you to come as my guest at the church. That guy looked at me, and I thanked him for letting me talk to him. He said, I want to thank you for coming out here and telling us what you did. And he looked down that line again. He said, mount up, and they rode off. Now watch this. Twenty-five years passed. 25 years. And when I went to the church that I'm at now, I've been there for 20 years. When I went there, I shared that story one day. A group of fellows was talking. I was talking about being a witness for Christ. How God can do what we can't. He can protect us wherever it might be. He can use our fumble, stumbling witness. And one of those guys in that group he said, where did you say this was? I said, it was in Indiana. I told him the town. I said, I was in a motel on the side of the interstate. He said, I grew up there. He said, describe that guy that was head of that gang. I described him. He told me his name. 
He said, I knew him. He said, he's dead now. But don't you know he gave his heart to Jesus? Isn't that amazing? You never know who's going to listen. You never know. God wants us to tell the story. Teresa, I want you to tell the story again. I want you to let God use you. I want you to put yourself on God's altar and let his fire fall on you afresh. That you might go forth as that witness for the Christ. The Bible says he went out to where the boy was. He wouldn't come in. We've got to go where they are. God help us to do it. This church caused me to have a vision of winning people to Jesus. You know where it happened? At a prayer meeting at Kidden Hill Grocery. How many of you remember that? Anybody here remembers that? You had a prayer meeting there. I was standing at the door. We were singing a hymn. You know what goes on. We did go on down. I don't even know if it's open now. But it, you know how it used to be. And I was standing at the door, and a drunk walked up there. He thought he was having the DTs. He didn't know what was going on. And I, I told him, I said, come on in, brother. Sing with us. And he kind of smiled, looked like Otis. And he went back to wherever he went. And I think he thought maybe it didn't really happen. He came back again. He looked in there. But you know what? You were a witness to him. That so impressed me. That has made a difference in my life. Recapture that. Go where they are. Entreat them to come in, whoever they be. No matter how they look. Go witness to them about the Christ. Invite them to come to know the King. And the Word of God says in this story, all of them were found except the elder brother. He was a self-righteous, lost, religious man, and he was unwilling to repent. Tonight, I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, the world that we are living in is hungry, starving for the witness of Christ. But it's going to have to come from Christians who have humbled themselves and got things truly right with God and let him use you in your life, your environment, and he will. Is that good? I'm going to ask the pastor to come. I'm going to shut up now. As we sing, the Spirit of God would speak to your heart. There's not a place in this book where God's fire has ever fell on an empty altar. I want you as Christians to just simply say as Isaiah did long ago, here am I, send me. Will you do it? People in Roxburgh need to hear about Jesus. People where you work need to hear about Jesus. Young people need to hear about Jesus. And we as a church have a mandate, a command from God that he can use us. May we stand. Our hymn.